All right, guys, I'll mention this at the end, but another quick reminder, everywhere I've posted information about the research review, I've reminded you that next week, starting Monday, everything's going to be an hour later. So I just have to shift my schedule a bit. So Monday will be an hour later. Friday will be an hour later. Uh, today, I I just mentioned off camera here that I have to probably wrap up in about 45 minutes because I have a couple of hard break meetings today. But I want to continue our series talking about food quality. Last week, we covered the glycemic index, the complexity of carbohydrates, sugar versus fiber, whole food versus processed food. Came to some really important conclusions. I'll review a little bit as we go along here. Today, I thought we would get a little bit more detail where I could, once again, my goal has been like, I want to I want to pound my my desk and say, we we need good quality. And yet... Just like with carbohydrates, fat doesn't seem to matter that much, in, at least when you stay in the realm of good fat, because there are two types. We're going to talk about omega-3 versus omega-6. That's what this meta-analysis was all about. We can definitely talk about the evils of saturated fat, but let me let me get into exactly why this was a little bit surprising to me and at least you know what we can pull from it very, very practically. So this was in the Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry, so a pretty serious meta-analysis. It had, I believe, 215 or so citations, and it's also a very a very highly cited work uh, you know, for a meta-analysis. And they, they, they reviewed omega-3 fatty acids in obesity and metabolic syndrome, a mechanistic update. So a couple things just in the setup of this design. They will mention some things that are not mechanistic, but what they wanted to really look at, this is part of their qualification filter for what studies they would include. They wanted direct comparison, and this was omega-3 versus omega-6. So in the unsaturated fatty acid realm, if we put them side to side in comparative studies, what can we find out? Because there are a lot of um, just kind of review studies, longitudinal studies, or or demographic comparisons where you can say, well, hey, look what the Eskimos ate. Look what Japanese people eat. And look at their diets that are higher in omega-3s versus omega-6s. And you can make some of those comparisons, and those have value. But they really wanted to look at just the studies that that put them in, in study group comparisons. I think that was important. They also wanted to really look at uh, not just obesity, but all of the aspects of metabolic syndrome. So uh, insulin resistance, hypertension, high blood pressure, hypercholesteremia. Um, so so they, they did two, two things, I think, that are very important. And, and what you're, you're going to see as we go through here, why it was a good idea to compare those two things and not just look at fat loss or fat gain. This really goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week. All right, so a little bit of a review, and this was a cool graphic included in the meta-analysis because it it highlights something that Dr. Souders, our medical director, talked about this week in our Nutrition Coaching Global Mastermind. We did a uh, our monthly mastermind that we do for nutrition coaches on inflammatory foods or uh, diets that might reduce systemic inflammation in the body. And that was a really good review. Matter of fact, I think Steve Stewart, he, our communication director, he posted it 
uh, for you guys to watch if you were interested, uh, which was kind of a funny little mistake. Those are reserved for coaches. He put it in there for all of our clients, but that's totally fine. I think that's some good information. But you you will see if you watch that, that Dr. Souders kept coming back to these these chemical messengers, cytokines, and how in in a state of just being overfed or obese or in, in her contention, as she was citing Dr. Lustig's book, Fat Chance, you know, high processed food, high sugar, you get this chemical inflammation and that permeates every process in the body. This particular meta-analysis, if you were to look at it, it's a very good review of that. It's a great review of the physiology. Now, just to keep our ducks in a row, uh, my disagreement with Dr. Lustig and the people who still cling on to the insulin model is that that really only holds up in calorie surplus when you're gaining weight and when you're overweight. Like we talked about last week, if you're just comparing a higher sugar or processed food to a whole food carbohydrate and you look at weight gain, even inflammation and so forth, it it just doesn't have much of, a, of an issue. You know, there's it's always quantity first and then quality. There are absolutely reasons that you would want to be higher quality for the vitamins, the phytochemicals, the fiber, things like that. Uh, and the anti-inflammatory nature of those foods, but you can still have some sugar. It's not going to kill you if if you can. I mean, it's not even going to hurt you really if if you have it in moderate amounts and it's just part of your normal calorie maintenance or calorie deficit. So that's what this graphic really talks about: the fact that in the presence of just higher calories than we need, fat or carbs, insulin gums up the whole system. Insulin is what stops the body from releasing energy. So we stop releasing glucose or glycogen from the liver and, and even you know muscle tissue. And then we also stop releasing fatty acids from adipose tissue. And we're just, we're constantly in a chronic storage mode in that calorie surplus in the presence of insulin, which is just too much carbohydrate, too much fat, too many calories, no matter what the quality you are constantly in that inflammatory state with, uh, as they talk about here, lipotoxicity. So you don't have to get into all that. I'm going to spare you a ton of biochemistry because it gets very confusing talking about, um, you know, linoleic acid, alpha linolenic acid and things like that and what converts to what. But it's it's in the study if you're interested. And as I said, this particular meta-analysis was really comparing, as I'll kind of highlight here, these two top bolded statements uh, omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids, that's what the PUFA is, and omega-3 polyunsaturated fats. Uh, it, and here, here's an interesting little bit of history. I once in a while will bring up the fact that, that Dr. Barry Sears, who was the proponent of the, the, the Zone diet, he wrote that book and that created kind of a whole, quote, balance phenomena. He's known for that. If anybody remembers the zone diet or you bring up Dr. Barry Sears, you think, oh, 30, 40, 30, 30, 40, 30. I, I wish that was not the whole remembered tenet of his book and his work because he really talked about this. He was so much more about the quality of food. 
and he would talk about the icosanoids and the uh, arachidonic acid and, and how the, the difference in the quality, if, if you were really following something that he would have supported his type of dieting and nutrition, it would have been eating things like almonds and flaxseed oil and salmon and those, those cold water fatty fish for the omega-3s. Uh, and as I'm going to talk about today, there is some high, high value in why that quality of fat is important. But nutrition researchers, you're going to find out, overplayed their hand a bit with fat like they did with the insulin model in sugar versus complex carbs. So um, evolutionarily, we are best and we work the best physiologically when omega-3s are about a one-to-one -one ratio consumed to omega-6s. And if in, in up to two to one, so omega sixes versus omega threes, this is a classification. I, I have to stop here and make sure you guys understand this. Unsaturated fats, these are omega three and omega six unsaturated fatty acids. Those are still both good. Those are good. Saturated is what's bad. Those are massive, and, and they're called saturated versus unsaturated because that describes their chemical bond structure just like an omega-3 versus omega-6, that's the position where the first double bond attaches the carbon chain to the, the fat part of the fat cell, the, the um, what am I thinking of, hydroxyl group? Um, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or if, if I got the right thing there. But a saturated fat is, quote, saturated because it is so tightly connected all those carbon chains that it's hard to actually digest it's hard to break down chemically so your body just favors other fatty acids shorter chain and medium chain because the long chain are just too too difficult that your body will if it needs to if you're starving and you have no other food source that's kind of what a good analogy is to stored body fats but then you also even have trans fats or trans fatty acids which are long chain and that gets into the description of what happens to the phospholipid membrane of, of all of our cells in kind of a transposition of, of those phospholipids that make it very hard for nutrients to get in and uh, waste products to get out of a cell. And that's why more trans fats create cancer and cardiovascular risk and so forth. So, so saturated fats, bad, not compared in the study. Trans fats, even worse, bad, not in the study. This study or this meta-analysis is looking at both of the unsaturated groups that we talk about, the family of unsaturated fats, threes and sixes. So we really want a, a one-to-one or two-to-one, six-to-three ratio. And we don't get as many omega-3s because they are harder to get. They are rarer. But our current diet is about 20-to-one. So we're trying to shoot for one-to-one, -one and we're sitting at about 20-to-one. That's, that's a problem. And that's why a lot of researchers and a lot of people are, are interested in looking at these mechanistic actions. Can we really determine how bad this is? And in, in, if we make changes, what benefits we would derive? So did I just uh, copy the same thing? Um, oh, okay. So the, the, the reason omega-6s are a little bit worse, and this was Dr. Sears' contention, is when we metabolize those into the forms we can use, those go through that one 
pathway I just had in a slide above that become pro-inflammatory. So they can create some inflammation. Omega-3s are anti-inflammatory at the very cellular level. So right off the bat, that's the ball game. That's that's why one is quote good and one is thought of as bad, even though it's still a good fat. That's that's something that you want to keep in mind. Uh, so the omega threes, where we get them, and this is kind of a take home point: the cold water fatty fish, as I mentioned, salmon, mackerel, tuna, herring, even sardines. Um, I I mean, I. I like to eat as much salmon as I can because I know, you know, it is one of the best sources, actually one of the highest. I think you'll see in a slide coming up, but now you also have to worry about factory farming and mercury and things like that in tuna. So, so be careful. I've seen people have medically treated mercury toxicity from eating too much fish because it was so it was from sources that were just high in mercury. Uh, you can also get these from flaxseed, flaxseed oil, flaxseed meal, chia seeds, walnuts, and then uh, even olive oil is high in omega-3. I've got a good chart in here that was in a different, from a different resource. But so the six, the omega-6s, and the reason why these are so much more prevalent in our diet, why we're getting these at 20 to 1 ratios instead of 1 to 1, is because they're in all of the processed food products. So every single salad dressing you look at, I guarantee you the first ingredient is soybean oil. Uh, you'll see things like corn oil, uh, safflower, not so much, sunflower, not so much. But the really cheap products are, are going to have those. Again, not a trans fat, not a saturated fat, but you're also just increasing your amount of the, the fat that you probably already get too much of. So I... I, I spent a couple trips to grocery stores looking at salad dressings for this reason. And, and I'm just trying to get a great Italian dressing where it would be with actual olive oil. And it's almost impossible to find. You almost have to go to a boutique type uh, independent source because food manufacturing is just all about the price. So uh, take home message here, cold water fish highest. And then I actually use uh Flaxseed oil still. This is a very 90s-ish move uh, because that's when it became very popularized. People started producing it. Companies like Barleen's, uh, a lot of the natural food product uh, sources would have flax meal that you could put in things. So it's a little crunchy and nutty. Um, but I, it, it's easy for me to put in my oatmeal once my oatmeal is cooked. It's easy for me to take some Greek yogurt and put a tablespoon in there. I mentioned Dr. David Sinclair, Harvard researcher uh, in epidemiology and longevity, and his first meal every day, he he consumes two to three tablespoons of olive oil that he mixes in with yogurt because he wants the omega-3s. And that also increases the uptake of the supplements he takes at that time. Now, that's a lot of fat. Those of you who track macros, you immediately just probably like blew out of your chair saying, holy shit, that's... 45 or, you know, 40 some grams of fat, but this is a guy who doesn't eat that much. He's 130, 140 pounds, only eats twice a day, world's leading expert on longevity. So worth noting that he really goes hard into omega-3s and that's why he eats salmon, you know, several times a week and so forth as well. So again, worth noting. So here's a, a good representation of what I just said in the last few years, I guess few decades, that 30 or so years, 40, actually 50 years, going back to 60, 
567 there. Look how much soybean oil we're consuming now. That's the red line going off the chart. And everything else is just kind of meandering around the bottom there, not really changed. Um, here are some of those comparative type things. This baseline is what we used to consume, the amount of omega-6s that are then converted into linoleic acid. So we used to be way down here, which are where our counterpart chimpanzees are. This is kind of baseline primate level. Homo sapiens should be right here. And then look how far we've gone in the last uh, 40, 50 years, primarily because of those processed food products. Okay, so here's a really cool chart because it shows uh, the the good, the medium, and the not so good, as well as kind of the, the terrible. So you look down here at something like coconut oil because everybody was fascinated for a while with coconut oil. It's supposed to be so good. It's got these great benefits. It's still 91% saturated fat. Like this is the bad fat. If you are in a calorie deficit or you are maintaining your body and you just choose for whatever reason to be ketogenic, you can process some saturated fat. I do want to say though, without overplaying my hand, it is very interesting to me that all of the ketogenic proponents, the people who say, no, carbs are evil, carbs are inflammatory, eat more fat. I don't care what it is, burgers, bacon, butter, coconut oil, eat more fat. Oddly, all of those people die of heart disease. Dr. Atkins, heart disease. Um, there's a famous real big proponent of keto who just died a few years ago, who was kind of big in the bodybuilding world. Again, mid-50s, massive heart attack, arteries, coronary arteries just clogged like cement. So take that for what you will. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk a lot about that today, but Saturated fat, you just really want to stay away from. All the way up here, canola oil often gets um, kind of a bad rap because it's high in omega-6s. You see this uh, um, you know, content over here, 21%, and the 61% is the oleic acid, which is an omega-9, actually. And so there just aren't much omega-3. It's only 11%. So a lot of people for a while said, don't eat canola oil. It's, it's, it's awful. Do, do all nothing but olive oil. But it's still an unsaturated fat. It, it still has some value. It's only 7% saturated. So then you come on down the line. Here, here again, the king, flaxseed oil. Look at the omega-3s. Highest on this chart, 57%. Even higher than olive oil, which is only 1%, and it happens to be a lot of omega-9s. Maybe I need to call Dr. Sinclair, tell him he needs to switch his olive oil to flaxseed oil. Um, but anyway, all of these things in here, once you get past things like, I wouldn't even call peanut oil horrible, but you know, let's get in here to quote lard, as well as palm oil, butterfat, coconut oil. I, I just would never recommend having these types of things. There are too many good oils, including omega-3s, as well as some omega-6s. Right, so here's where I'm going to spend a few minutes, because this particular meta-analysis was kind of unsatisfying for me to present to you. It had some amazing categories that they looked at, which I have listed here but they didn't go through a ton of the technical data. They didn't, they didn't synthesize it. They, they did a lot of it in narrative form. 
every once in a while they would pull a study out and almost display that entire study. But I think they did that because it was just underwhelming in terms of what we could draw from this. So I'm going to go through these one at a time and tell you what I mean. Could you say, remember, we're looking at mechanistic action. Could you say in mechanistic studies that omega-3s, the best unsaturated fat, versus omega-6s, not so good, more pro-inflammatory uh, omega fatty acid, were the omega-3s better at preventing obesity and metabolic disorders? The conclusions are, eh, maybe a little bit. And what happens in citing 200 and some studies, they would they would show that almost all of the studies said, no, there's just no difference. A couple studies would say, say yeah, we found a little bit of an improvement if you use more omega-3s. But when you when you get in the amount that you have to get to make that difference, it's just not even practical. You're not going to consume that much. So they have to come down on the side of omega-3s versus omega-6. Once again, it's quantity, not quality. Weight loss, same thing. In combination with other dietary interventions, which we have we love to talk about in our research reviews here, you know how they did this. Did they get counseling? Did they get their own meals prepared for them? Uh, was it this diet, that diet, high carb, low carb? All of those things, again, very, very underwhelming. They just There just wasn't that much of a difference. Didn't matter if it was high omega-3 or high omega-6. It was about the same. Exercise impact, same thing. Uh, adipogenesis, the creation of new body fat stores. Th th this is where it starts in the list getting a little bit more favorable for omega-3s. They did show that you do tend to gain less weight. So it's not necessarily great for weight loss, but you gain less weight in maintenance if you have more omega-3s and omega-6s. Uh, it is definitely more favorable for inflammation just throughout your body because of those cytokines and just all those cellular. So, but, but again, if you're in a calorie maintenance position or just not gaining weight, wasn't that much of a difference, but the nod certainly went to omega-3s. This was interesting that the uh, uh, things like leptin, which are part of that cytokine family, a neuro uh, kind of a gut neural uh, messenger, uh, that was more, that was really more favorable with omega-3. So now here's a good part of a mechanistic analysis. If I put a tablespoon of flaxseed oil in my meal or a tablespoon of, let's say, canola oil, in those kinds of studies, or I had salmon versus, you know, with that fat versus I guess if, if it was chicken breast, you'd have to supplement a fat like a, a canola oil or something. But but fat gram for fat gram, people were far less hungry with omega-3s. And they had to compare and analyze why. And this is where it got very heavy into some biochemistry. But because of very specific actions of how it's digested in these inflammatory responses, uh, Appetite was really, really suppressed. It was very, very favorable in leptin circulation. So there was a direct connection between omega-3s and leptin, which is the hunger hormone. So appetite suppression was much better with omega-3s compared to omega-6s. Thermogenesis was actually improved. You actually burned more calories even in the digestive process of the omega-3s. And that was ironically to what they didn't expect more just white adipose tissue versus what's called brown adipose tissue. We won't get into that. 
um, lean mass, it was actually favorable. And I think that's because omega-3s are so much more usable than when we talk about cholesterol-derived hormones like testosterone. It's it's just more usable. Uh, so there was an improvement of lean body mass when you had more omega-3s. And then a, a really, really big component were the epigenetic, which is where longevity and overall health come into play. So even though you're not going to get much difference in weight loss, measurements of obesity, things like that, because we're comparing gram to gram, calorie for calorie amounts of omega-3s and 6s, it made a big difference in epigenetic health, meaning the kinds of responses you would get for, here's this gene, and if in the certain environments, it's dormant and nothing happens, but in a worse environment, you it, it could trigger a, a cancer response. It, you could trigger that genetic expression. And again, that comes back to the fact that omega-3s are very anti-inflammatory and omega-6s are a little bit more pro-inflammatory. So uh, here, here was their conclusion, and I think I just kind of spelled it out, but the management of obesity has shifted from a narrow focus of BMI, body mass index, to the wider field that includes complications of obesity with a goal, of, a goal to reduce obesity-associated comorbidities, while omega-3 Polyunsaturated fatty acids have not yet shown consistent benefits in terms of weight loss in humans. Improvements in the metabolic profile has been demonstrated. Uh, therefore, omega-3s may be an important adjunct to obesity management along with lifestyle mo modification and pharmacotherapy. Further study of the genetic epigenetic molecular targets related to metabolism, appetite, and energetics could aid in the discovery of novel therapeutic targets for obesity-associated metabolic disorders. Meaning, because of those epigenetic uh, carryovers and impacts that they saw, they think, wow, this is a place where some of those interventions, higher concentrated amounts where you're, or, or even at, from a pharmacotherapy position where you're changing your body somehow to receive or utilize those with a greater capacity, that may be a, a great future part of this kind of research. But here's, here's an interesting counterpoint. And I wanted to include this because like I said, they are, I, I think both of last week's research review that we did and this one, the whole insulin model versus the scare of don't eat poly uh, unsaturated fats if they are coming from omega-6 sources, being an overplaying of that that information they thought they had. Other people are saying there's it's just not a big deal. Stay away from trans fats, stay away from saturated fats, keep your fat intake low, but don't be afraid of omega-6s. That's some people's opinion, like this article at, from Harvard, but it does still ignore the fact that those pro-inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory properties are there. And so like Dr. Sinclair, I will certainly look to continue to keep omega-3s high. And, and, and this was their point here, if you read this. You don't necessarily need to try to stay away from omega-6s, but try to eat more omega-3s and get more omega-3s in your diet. Focus on that first. I would also say secondarily, just like I'm trying to avoid uh, things like salad dressings and food products that just, I mean, even look at your protein bars and things like that. You're going to constantly see safflower oil and things like that, canola oil, soybean oil, corn oil, not horrible, not saturated fats, but you limit your ability to get something from a positive perspective, if that's costing you omega-3s. I don't think a lot of people consuming those products would say, okay, I won't do that, 
and I'll eat an omega-3 instead. Uh, a way that you could do that, and this gets into practicality, if if I were dieting right now, if, if somebody said, Joe, you've got to lose 20 pounds in the next three months, I would drop things like even protein bars because of some of that poor food quality, some of the um, inability to really calculate macros accurately because we know those labels can be off by 40%, even if they're complying by label laws. But you know that's where I would I would say, okay, well, maybe instead of that protein bar, I'm going to have protein powder and I'll add some flaxseed oil. Or maybe I'm just going to have some whole food and instead of having something like salmon once a week, maybe I'm going to do it you know, five times a week. Something like that is where you could make some of those um, – you know, changes. But let me get to the last slide here Then I'm going to open it up for you guys. I guess that was the last slide. Um, again, just not thrilling and exciting information to give you guys. It's pretty cut and dry, but I, I do, I do like that, I guess, in that we do have kind of a clear answer. More omega-3s, good. Omega-6s, not horrible. Um, let's keep limiting our fat, but if you're really, really interested in the fine, fine details of immunity and genetics and longevity, then you, you could definitely try to make a little change in that direction. Kevin, what do you think? doesn't change much of my opinion. It's more or less what I already knew of the, what was this? 2018, the study was, it was um, in 16 reported in 18. Yeah. So yeah, it it's you know it's on par with what the consensus already was. Um, I'm glad I'm glad that you put on the ratio because I remember asking that in our FDI podcast a couple of weeks ago, just out of curiosity, what if there was a ideal ratio between the two, and mm -hmm. that was just interesting to learn that. But question for you is, do you still put flaxseed in your oatmeal? I do, uh, virtually okay. every day. And, and my Greek yogurt and things like that. Now, that's why I said it's a very like 1990s kind of move. Sometimes I feel embarrassed. Like, am I still the only one on the planet using flaxseed oil um, from that era? But it's still the the king daddy of omega-3s. Like that in salmon is home base. I was just curious if you didn't, if you had you made remarks on your oatmeal not being as satiating compared to other meals, I didn't know if you had stopped just temporarily and maybe that would have gone with the leptin point that you made. Just curious if that was an easy fix, but never mind. Maybe I need oh. to increase it. I, I, I am judicious because I'm wary of fat. So maybe I need to be more like David Sinclair instead of me putting in like a, a half a tablespoon, maybe I need to up that and then just say, wow, I got a better quality fat and now I'm not as hungry because, you know, sometimes a a better use of higher calories at one part of your day nets you less calories overall because it was well targeted and, and high quality. So I, I think I'm glad you brought that up. I think I'm going to try that. I'm going to start measuring out a clear amount and, and increase a little bit. I think I might do it too. Yeah, it's, 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 it's out there in many forms. I mean, I still get barleens and they have kind of the higher fiber unprocessed type, but, um, yeah, whatever you're interested in. Be interesting to see if it, if it helps somebody's blood. If you know your blood levels of things like LDLs, HDLs, triglycerides, it'd be interesting to see if something like that makes a difference. I don't expect it would make a huge difference, but 
I wouldn't think so. Saturated fat, yes, that's a different story in trans fats, but unsaturated, I wouldn't think, assuming you know the fat is equated for appropriate calorie balance. But any other comments or questions from you guys? I know this was, like I said, kind of a boring one, nothing sensational. Um, I wish I could give you better lists of like, here are some amazing sources and go get them. <laughs> There's That's why it's so hard to get omega-3s. They're just not in a lot of food. Who eats sardines? Isn't that gross? Like, like I, I, like that's almost a meme of people like that person who eats a can of sardines. It sounds so disgusting to me, but my wife does make great salmon. Like we often have salmon salads, um, things like that. We'll I wish to... I could. Ugh, disgusting. All of it. Even if it was deep fried, just, there's no justice to it. Are, are there, maybe somebody else here knows this, uh, better sources of tuna. I, obviously, like I'm thinking of just canned tuna. Um, I don't know if you go somewhere and get like deep sea yellowfin tuna steaks. Can you find sources that are, I, I don't know if you can find them mercury free, but at least sourced better. That'd be interesting to try. If you can't find this stuff at Aldi, I'm probably not going to get it, but it'd be worth hmm? looking. My wife gets all of her groceries at Aldi. She she does anything if she if she can save like seven cents on something she'll she'll find that deal, she she won't. So <laughs> I'm probably missing We're out. Higher, I'm missing out on higher quality food. Probably not. Uh, she's out of town. She's out of town this week, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Schnucks and splurge a little. I'll... Hey Joe, I get wild caught tuna steaks from Aldi. Do you really? That, wow. Yeah. They're... I just ran and got them out of the freezer. They're right here. They're ahi tuna steaks. They're really good. I put them in the air fryer. Wow. So they exist. Yeah. Thank you very they much. They exist. I'll, yeah. I'll put on that, that on the grocery list. <laughs> My wife will approve. You can get them at Aldi. All right, guys. Well, I'll let you go with that one. Like I said, it was uh, slogging through a pretty intense research review to come to such few few points I could give you, but I, at least they're they're pretty conclusive. So... I'm not sure what we'll get to uh, next week. There is going to be a span of time, a couple of weeks, where we we have to pause these research reviews. But um, at least for now, in the next week or two, we're going to jump, uh, you know, onto different topics of this. Hi, Jen. Bye, Jen. We're leaving. You're done. I I had a phone call that ran <laughs> so late, and I was like, Oh God, I can get on for the second half, but I missed it. Oh well. Wait, maybe you can send me the paper you talked about or something. I'll send you the I'll, I'll I'll send you the copy of this as well. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I'm interested to hear what uh, what you have to say. So I'll definitely yeah, I really wanted to join in on this one. It's just you know what today is just ridiculous. As as you know, today yeah. is ridiculous. I'll be talking we'll to you just, very very soon. I know. We'll just join each other for some more ridiculous later. Have a good All right. one. All right. We'll see you guys and take care, Tony. Thanks.